Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Podcasting Guild and happy Super Bowl Sunday. As we speak right now, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals are winning the Super Bowl 20 to 16 live on the spot updates from your friends at the Podcasting Guild, where he's never seen the show and none of us know what are doing. So there we go. We also don't know how to talk very well right now, apparently. That's right. That's right. And, you know, Eric, I have to admit, I did not realize it was Super Bowl Sunday for most of the day. Uh, We were at the dog park and I was like, it's a beautiful, warm for the season, sunny day on a weekend. Where is everybody? No one's there. I was like offended that there were so few dogs to play with my puppy. Uh, yeah, I was driving around town and downtown was empty today. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah, that's a rare treat to be able to drive around downtown without, and you know, actually drive. Yep, exactly. Um, great. Well, yeah. I mean, it'll be long past Super Bowl Sunday <laughs> when when our fans hear this. Very true. Good thing, too, because you're going to need your full attention for this episode. This one, This one was a mover and a shaker. This one's a big episode in the pantheon of babylon 5 episodes very important and really sets the scene for a lot of upcoming events in the series and the universe and it's also the first time we meet mr morden (laughs) Uh, oh i assume that's the character yeah fair enough whose name i didn't know the creepy dude who kosh had to shoo away you know, I have some comments on how Kosh seems to be something of a guardian angel of sorts for yeah. Babylon 5. But, oh man, I, you know, this this was a great episode. I thought this episode showcased a lot of what Babylon 5 does best. A lot of the stuff it's good at. You know, it had just beautiful, funny moments. I mean, <laughs> Lando and Jakar in front of the elevator that was that was golden that was one of the best scenes in the whole season so far i love that that's what i'm here for i am here for it let me ask you something if you were the guy standing between them how would you have reacted in that moment? oh my god that was such a great touch you know they could have had a, i don't know that was a beautiful touch well done writers yeah having a guy between them and like Lando's literally like shoving him, like this guy gets it. And he <laughs> yeah. like looks so uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, no, I, I thought this uh, episode, like I said, showed all the things that Babylon Five does well. But let's start at the beginning because I loved the beginning because Ivanova wakes up, <laughs> isn't a morning person, and is so much not a morning. She she is like are hungover freshman morning person you know when she shows up in uniform to her job site she's still just like uh whatever (laughs) i'm groggy i'm ivanova i'm groggy ivanova (laughs) i very much relate to ivanova in this scene here you know i can i guess i relate to that too the commute is always where because i took the bus i didn't have to like pay attention to traffic so my commute is always when i went from groggy to awake so i showed up to work i was like an adult but but ivanova doesn't have that i guess she lives where she works basically basically yeah anyway i just thought it was hilarious how like not here for this ivanova was and she showed up just in the nick of time too. imagine if she had slept through 
the raiding party action that opened the right. episode there. And I did enjoy her comment about not liking getting up when it's dark outside and the commander commenting on how it's always dark in space. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I feel that. So, yeah, absolutely. It feels like a, a, a cheat to me. It always feels unfair. Yeah. It's like the sun's not up, but I if it's if it's good enough for the sun, it's good enough for me. No? All right. <laughs> I guess I got to get up anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with Ivanova. You know, I never really thought what it would be like to try and keep a schedule in space. I mean, even when you're in orbit around Earth, it's not like you have the same day-night cycle. Like, yeah. the day-night cycle's all completely pants. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's still, uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. I'm, several people have actual experience with it. I wonder what they've said about it. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that your circadian rhythm definitely gets affected by being in space. Interesting observation. And also some sad news. I saw that they're planning on deorbiting the International Space Station in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah sad news. That. It is sad news. And especially sad because I don't believe there is planned replacements not immediately yeah so much much like the space shuttle my fear is that instead of being a stepping stone to bigger and better things it you know maybe <laughs> itself a, a peak of what we've achieved for quite some time which yeah you know, yeah sad reality i suppose but we'll see indeed we'll see that is sad news that is sad news for all, all <laughs> space lovers. I, I actually remember in grade school reading about the first launches to set up the International Space Station and how that was such a big deal at the time back in the uh, yeah. late 80s, early 90s. It was well, a fascinating know, I'll time. I'll balance that very sad news with some awesome news, which is that the James Webb Telescope has been successfully launched and I think opened. I don't know. Are they getting yes. pictures yet? I'm not quite sure. I think they are. I would like to mention that that looks very much like a giant space laser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, it's great. I remember learning about this telescope, you know, when I was a little baby physics undergrad, mm-hmm. you know, well over a decade ago. And even then, it, you know, it, this was the next thing. So it's just an incredible amount of time and work went into it. It's just yeah. really cool to see it launch. And, you know, Hubble changed everything in terms of, like, the popular perception of space and getting people excited about it. And it mostly did that because it was able to take pictures of these things that look really cool in you know, mm-hmm. in uh, visible wavelengths. And the James Webb Telescope will be able to look at really crazy wavelengths. I forget, are they... It's gonna look like a lot of x-raising i'm you know what i'm gonna stop talking because i'm gonna i'm talking out my ass and enough people are starting to listen that i don't think i can get away with just being like oh yeah i think this and i think that i should have actually looked this up but anyway so it's a big step in getting new images of crazy space phenomena yeah i'm looking uh, forward to what comes awesome from that. stuff out of that yeah all right well look we're almost 10 minutes in we barely talked about ivanova rolling out of bed <laughs> let's talk about their problem of too many raiders why can't i hold all these raiders that was where are they coming Eric. from where are they, where coming, are they from? coming from there's so many air there's so many raiders so yeah that's basically i wow i i don't know i don't know if there are a and b plots in this episode it's all kind of they kind of tie together in this episode they, they tie together yeah Actually, you're right. Yeah, and you don't even realize they tie together till the end. So, spoiler right. alert. 
yeah, the A and B plots are just two two legs of the same elephant here. But anyway, you know, we we have that scene on the bridge where Ivanova is groggy, and then there's a mayday because of some some ship was hit by raiders and it doesn't go well. And then they have a little bit of expository dialogue about how oh, there's been a lot more raiders recently, and how are they showing up so quickly? The jump gates, yeah, so and so far away. Okay. All right, big mystery, setting up the rest of the episode. And then we cut to Londo greeting another Centauri noble. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there's a lot of costume decisions and a lot of thought, a lot of fingers in the pie, so to speak, when it comes to like designing these characters. But I do wonder if they thought about those hairstyles and how that would scale like (laughs) even with just one person it's still ridiculous but as soon as there's two people with that ridiculous hair it's all i can focus on in a scene (laughs) every scene when londo and this noble were talking together i was just watching their hair flap back and forth because you know as their head moved a little bit their hair kind of kind of waved and flapped just a little bit and like you know, looked like their hair was talking to each other. Here you are being all judgmental about other people's looks. I mean, give them a break, dude. Let's, let's be honest. They're, they have their, their way of doing things. That's, that's their thing. It's true. They're yeah, the peacocks no, of the galaxy, true. literally. They shouldn't be bigoted against the fake alien race. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I think they should just go with the ladies. Just shave it down. I think the ladies have the right of it in centauri culture especially poor londo with that hairline he's (laughs) not fooling anybody come on londo just embrace it if you notice the security guards the centauri security guards which are just as inept as some of the babylon 5 security guards as we find out later on didn't have the big hair they had relatively tame hairdos so i think you can kind of glean from that that the larger the hair, the more important the person on Centauri Prime. That's a great observation. Space Newman, who I hate to imagine is probably out of the show. I don't know. We haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, had pretty short cropped, crazy hair. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe like maybe hair gel is just super expensive. And so it's a sign <laughs> of wealth to be. You got to show off your wealth with the big exactly. hair. Exactly. Exactly. How do you sleep with that? I imagine they have some sort of contraption that holds their hair in place while they sleep. You know, it actually would be a really cool, like, character illuminating moment to see Londo prepping his hair for the day <laughs> or to see his hair all messed up as he gets out of bed. You know, yeah. like, even Darth Vader in the original Star Wars, we got that scene of Darth Vader from behind with this pale, vulnerable head before the helmet goes on. Mm-hmm. Before that, he was just this monolithic monster. So, like, right. Londo, I think, could have a scene like that where we see him put mm-hmm. on his armor, see him do his hair up. <laughs> his armor being his fancy hair and his purple jacket i mean yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah before we skip too far ahead here just want to make a couple notations about you know londo having met some humans who acquired a very special piece of jewelry for him and they uh present that to londo and he's all like this is amazing you know that they found this jewel that's been lost for over a hundred years and it happens to be the symbol of the emperor uh, on centauri prime and so he makes his deal with them 
doesn't really allude to how they came about it or how they found it, but he just basically says, you don't want to know how we found it, but we found it. And I'm going to take my money and leave. And then Londo has this big jewel. And that's where you introduce him to the other Centauri noble, Lord Kiro, who apparently had been sent by a Centauri government to pick up the jewel because they had paid for the jewel to be found by this group of individuals in that, that scenario. And while this is going on, we're also introduced to Mr. Morden, who comes aboard the station and introduces himself at customs, as one does on Babylon 5, and they're asking him where he's been. He says he's been out on the rim for a while, and then he goes and meets with Jakar and has a cryptic conversation with him, asking him what he wants. And one thing I wanted to comment on here was, you know, it's all well and good for the ambassadors to meet constituents or potential people of business, but I would think that the ambassadors would be much more guarded about their responses, particularly since they don't know who is part of the press and you know who might be a spy but no Jakar just comes right out and says oh i want to kill all centauri and do all these other things after responding to what was the question of Warren, which is what he wants and kind of going back and forth with him uh, which i thought was kind of interesting i would think that ambassadors would be better trained in those sorts of situations to be much more guarded <laughs> about those things because if he had been like a press individual which wouldn't have been the first time there was press on the station and they were like oh Narn Ambassador wants to kill all Centauri. That's not going to go well for anyone involved, I imagine. An astute observation, Eric, and one that I completely agree with. I think I've even <laughs> commented before how these so-called ambassadors, these supposed dignitaries, are always one pointed comment away from just exposing their entire <laughs> worldview and philosophy right. full with... Right animus and you know <laughs> like and we will bomb your home world into oblivion right it's like guys you're supposed to be ambassadors and i understand <laughs> that this is all in part and, and parcel of informing the audience of where the characters stand and stuff right. but yeah there course, should have been less heavy-handed and been a bit more subtle about it and jakar should have interrogated morden Morris, saying hey who the hell are you you know, are you part of the press? Those sorts of things. Why would I want to tell you anything about what I personally want? I'm here to represent the Narn regime and the Narn government, that sort of thing. But just thoughts on that. And then Lord Kiro comes and visits Londo and brings his aunt, who is apparently a seer and can see things psychically, possibly, maybe in the future. And it's not clear why he brings her. Well, hold on. I'm, I'm getting ahead <laughs> of myself again. Because basically, as soon as he he barely finishes the sentence, oh, she's my family's seer, that she starts a seeing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's the seers never see anything good. You know, they're <laughs> never like, oh, you're getting an ice cream cake for your next birthday. Or right. <laughs> I'm having trouble of thinking of any example that won't <laughs> date me. Like finding a $20 bill in your pocket that you forgot about. People still do that, right? That's still a thing. But no, it's never anything like that. It's death and destruction. Right. Specifically, you know, we see exactly what it was at the end of the episode. It's the station blowing up, which I think is hilarious because she kind of had this like, I can't describe it to you. You have to see it <laughs> to believe it. And then it's like, no, you could have described that. Yeah, you definitely could have described that. Uh, you should have given it a try first and then just seen if Sinclair seemed to get it. I bet yeah. you would. 
Probably, probably. <laughs> uh, but anyways, again, getting ahead of myself. Yeah, so she sort of collapses against the wall. It's like, oh my God, it's so terrible. I hate it. It's a prophecy and it's happening to me right now. And guys, it's bad. <laughs> That's basically what that scene is. Yes. But then in the very next scene, the Duke or whatever, Lord, what's his name? Lord Kiro. Kiro was like, oh, don't mind her. She just really gets into the scene. And I'm like, why'd you bring her? Yeah. Why'd you bring her? I don't, I don't understand that Like, either. take your aunt to work day? <laughs> you know, if, if she's not there to see things and you don't take that seriously. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, it's nice to, like, stay close to your family, I guess. Maybe they were sharing the same ship back from a resort planet or something. No, exactly. I mean, we're going to take my little nephew to the zoo next weekend. Maybe it was like they've been doing these trips their whole lives. They're all grown up now, but that doesn't mean they can't hang out. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I went and saw the zoo on Epsilon Prime or something. Totally, totally. And stopped by to see Londo to pick up the eye on the way back. Well, and I love how he just casually mentions in defense of, of him discrediting her. He's like, oh, yeah, she once predicted that I would be killed by shadows. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> What kind of relationship do you have with this aunt? I don't know. I would never uh, <laughs> tell my nephew, hey, had a vision of you getting hit by a bus. So I'm pretty sure that's actually what's going to happen to you. Just wanted to let you know. Just heads uh, up. All right. Yeah. Want some ice cream? <laughs> anyway. So this guy brought his seer aunt who he had no intention of actually paying attention to. He just he wanted her to see the sights come to bab five but yeah specifically they're here to get this artifact that londo got possession of right which is some whatever maltese falcon owned by the first emperor at the Mm. beginning of the republic which i thought was very interesting phrasing it's quite obvious that a centauri is an analog to the roman empire yes right they talk about emperors coexisting with senates that's all roman emperor (laughs) yeah what caught me is that they said it was owned by the first emperor in the early days of the republic or the start of the republic right and that didn't make any sense to me because of course you know why would it even be a republic if in the early days you had an emperor right the roman senate persisted because it had been there a long time before any emperors showed up and you know as a sort of claim to legitimacy the emperors kept the senate around but if the emperor was around since the beginning what's all this talk about a republic anyway so they're just bad at naming things give them a break <laughs> it's true it's true i guess there's a lot of very undemocratic unrepublic places in the world who yeah normally if they refer to themselves as the people's republic they're not a people's republic no, you're absolutely right. You know, in that light's entire republic with an emperor makes all <laughs> the sense in the world. Yep. And also, I have to say, an incredibly poor choice of person to come retrieve the artifact from this emperor. Right. I'm sorry that my dog is playing right behind me. Good, good, good timing, Boda. And so, A, it's established throughout the course of this episode that the Centauri Republic is not politically stable. The emperor is unpopular. 
and various non-emperors have imperial ambitions you know so these are not signs of stability you'd think the emperor would be giving a little more thought to who he sent to get the uh macguffin of automatic legitimacy <laughs> just so happens to send the guy who belongs to the house that that macguffin yeah. came from oh my god play some crusader kings <laughs> emperor all right you can't give big armies to your questionably loyal vassals that's not a good idea right anyway okay but we're getting to my favorite scene i don't think just of this episode i think this is my favorite scene so far of the whole show <laughs> which is lando and jakar waiting for the episode which okay there's two of them standing on either side of just a random guy and it's it's yep. very obviously a random guy just hanging out waiting for the elevator we're hanging out waiting for the elevator and it shows jakar i know shows lando push the button i don't remember who got there first one of them pushes the button yeah lando and the guy were standing there already yeah. jakar shows up and goes and pushes the button again and lando's i already pushed it and <laughs> i just love this i like if you had recorded me and my brother just you know <laughs> bickering in at hotels in the 90s this is exactly what it would have sounded like i already pushed it well i pushed it again <laughs> you know like so that was absolutely perfect absolutely perfect then lando just start, kind of prods jakar oh i hear there's a famine on your whole world so sorry which again man just a just a dick move really <laughs> yeah just a dick move um sorry i had my microphone turned so the non-microphony part was facing me <laughs> we're professionals so yeah and then they basically get to just shouting at each other and screaming and uh, right. you know and, and like <laughs> this guy between them is like being physically squeezed between lando and jakar and when the elevator opens he shoots inside and must have been smashing that door close button because that door closed pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that there's elevators on Babylon 5. And I love that two ambassadors from different places need to wait for the same one. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also on this episode, Sinclair brings Garibaldi into his circle of confidence regarding the mysterious events of his past and the battle right. of the line. And I have to say, I was a bit frustrated because they basically cut out Sinclair filling in Garibaldi, which fair <laughs> enough, like it would have been pure exposition almost, but I would have been really interested to hear Sinclair tell the events from his perspective. The audience has always had a little more of an, of an omniscient perspective than Sinclair. Right. Even in his own memories, we get to see... Uh, you know outside his spaceship so yeah i would have i would have been interested to hear sinclair tell things from his perspective but i guess i understand why they cut it or cut for time <laughs> yeah yeah cut it implies that they filmed it which which they probably did probably but, did uh, yeah oh oh you know all right next scene after sinclair fills in garibaldi we're in the med ward in the hospital right. where the psychic aunt seer aunt is still kind of going on that like babylon will be destroyed and i'm like yeah lady <laughs> that's why this is babylon five you're right. four iterations too late with your prediction <laughs> you know it's like yeah something that's happened four out of five times i don't know i'm just saying 
you know, I'm getting some John Edwards vibes here. Yeah, let's be honest. The odds are pretty good something's going to happen. So just saying it's going to be destroyed. I mean, is that really seeing or is that just playing the odds? Yeah, absolutely true. And I got for her sharing the vision with Sinclair at the end, again, predicting that a military commander stationed in space is going to die when a space station explodes. Like, this isn't... You know, this it's it's very like, oh, is there someone in the audience named Michael? Oh, yes. And you had a mother who was sick. Ah, yes. I see. You know, it's yes. just very, yeah. yeah. Cold reading. Yeah. Cold reading. Yeah, yeah. pretty broad tar- targets this seer is shooting at, look, it seems to me. But maybe that's why they had it framed that way to make it, you have to question this. Is she really seeing or is she just cold reading and saying stuff that she knows people want to hear so she gets paid money? It's true. Well, the, the implication, I felt like the show's implication was that what she was seeing was legitimate. Yeah. I feel like the rest of Babylon 5, the show forgot that it had this tidbit about the other four being, you know, lost or destroyed or gone forever mm-hmm. or, you know, very few people talk about or act like you know their lives are all extremely <laughs> uncertain you know yeah well let's be honest we're living through a pandemic right now and most people don't acknowledge that with any regularity no, that's an excellent point that's an excellent point and i suppose them being like all scared and nervous every episode would get pretty old yeah becomes part of the background noise yeah all right so i think after this is another scene of that of the weird dude i'm sorry i don't remember his name was his name mr morden mr it is mentioned once or twice yeah mr morden twice in in one of the first non-murdery non-hijacking custom scenes we see (laughs) yes non customs agent lived yeah exactly (laughs) the fact that this guy went through customs without incident was a big clue that oh this character is major (laughs) i just want to note real quick the actor that plays Mr. Morton is actually a returning actor to the series. He was on the pilot episode as one of the bridge officers in the background. He didn't say much, but oh no, kidding! He was a background character in the pilot series. Although this character is completely different, some people like to say, "Oh, he was in the lore of the series. He's actually there a long time ago, and people just didn't notice him." But completely different characters. I've checked. Okay, yeah, I, just I do to make love that. that. Uh... <laughs> that fanon fan canon yeah (laughs) that he was you know scoping the place out or yeah you know maybe it was only years later that he turned from you know to the dark side or whatever Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. i don't know dark side it's not clear although i have to say uh londo is not even a tiny bit genre savvy (laughs) <laughs> this dude is constantly saying super ominous things to Londo and he's just like do 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 you know he's <laughs> like you don't want to know how I found it and like right you know, Londo's like yeah. all right and then at the end of the episode you know skipping ahead a little bit he's like oh you don't need to find us to thank us we'll find you <laughs> and Londo just just like kind of grins to himself and was like oh great oh awesome all right it's like yeah Oh, oh! Uh, anyone hear that shoe drop? I'm sure that's the I'm sure that's the last shoe that's going to drop. No problem. Like, come yeah. on, Londo. You know. Hey, you know we don't know Centauri culture that well. Maybe they don't have sci-fi and horror movies, and they just have these 
great dance numbers all the time with their big hair and stuff. I'm sure you're a hundred percent right. Like if yeah. you went up to Londo and you were like, you know, the oh, you'll pay, but not in money. He'll be like, oh, it's free. Oh, awesome. Yeah, great. Oh, all right. Londo would definitely do that. Yes. Yeah, that's actually no. You're absolutely right. He would. He would. Okay, so I don't know. The Mr. Morden, Morgan, Morden, Morden, uh, Morden. Yeah, he goes and meets with Ambassador Delenn now. Yes, and asks her, "What do you want?" And again, I agree with you, Eric. Why are these ambassadors giving this dude the time of day? He keeps saying, "Oh, I made an appointment," but none of them know who he is. Yeah, and he's just kind of badgering them. And you know, again, in in Londo and Jakar's case. Their emotions boil over and they can barely keep it in. It's like, all right, you want to know what I want? This yeah. is what I want. And it's like, <laughs> wow, guys, way to play it close to the chest. <laughs> yeah. Delenn's is close to reasonable, but still, she overreacts a little bit and kind of gives away the ghost that something is up with Mr. Morton because like her weird hidden tattoo shows up and she starts freaking out, like, leave me alone and get out of my place. She could have been a bit more subtle about it. No, totally. Her, what was it? Gray Council membership yeah. badge. <laughs> yeah. And, and entrance stamp. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to wash it off totally or you, you they won't let you back in. That's a fair point. Yeah. It's like Disney World. It's one of those it's ones that like, glows in the dark too. That's why it showed up yeah, at that time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Delenn's was a little interesting. It made her thing glow or, you know, reappear. And she just like slaps. She turns around and slaps her forehead onto it. It's like, Delenn, you were already facing away from him. Yeah. You know, it's like my brother told his kid once, oh, you know, your ears turn red when you lie. And then, of course, what do little kids do? They cover their ears when they're telling you <laughs> lies. And it's like, Delenn, Delenn, come on. Yeah. What are you, a toddler? Yeah. Just <laughs> stay facing away from him when you cover mm-hmm. your forehead. Like, oh. Or, you know, wrap head. something around your head. So when you turn around not obvious that something's on your head you just like oh yeah it's the traditional head covering of the mimbari when we meet new guests right? he wouldn't know that you know, that's a great point actually if she had a secret head forehead symbol that could give away her her shtick why doesn't she just like show up day one wearing a hat like yeah mimbari ambassadors wear a hat that's what yep. that's what we wear what it's what, our culture what damn up? it what up yeah <laughs> But yeah, exactly. There's no reason that her headdress needs to be 90% forehead. Right. <laughs> no, foreheads play a big role in this series. Lots of Oh big my foreheads. God. They're, they're five heads, Eric. They're <laughs> five heads. Londo's got a five head. Delane's got a five head. <laughs> I mean, you know, Narn are bald. I guess yep. so, are, so are Mimbari. So are Vorlon. Uh, Technically, they don't have any hair, apparently. Not we haven't seen them yeah haven't although imagine the the head hair the you know hat hair that <laughs> kosh would have wearing that thing all the time yeah all right we are 40 minutes in we have a lot of episode <laughs> left so we're just having too much fun we got it's get an down important episode we got to cover everything <laughs> it's true but you know what she said she didn't say oh you're doing something when she like covered her mark she was she said they're here yes so that was very cryptic and mystic okay and then we had a scene with londo and lord chris what was his name lord christoph 
Lord Kira. Lord K will work, I guess. Lord K. Big K. Big K. Londo was talking with Big K. And this was this was the scene where I was just like, Centauri hair is just too much. <laughs> it's just too much. It's distracting. But yeah, they're admiring this this bobble. And I don't know. I found it a little it sort of Cheap. strained my credulity that Yeah, they could have done better with it. Come on, props people. Let's do something yeah, better. No, I mean it, yeah, it didn't it, it didn't look like a sacred artifact in space. And also the importance they were trying to imbue with it just didn't feel warranted. They did not really do enough to make us feel like like they should have mentioned it before. Yeah. If they wanted us to believe that this was an artifact that could change the political landscape of this entire republic. Because just finding something that an emperor owned, it's like, okay, great. How much political legitimacy would that really grant? In, a, in an unstable political environment like that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, I suppose it depends on how fervently your population believes in that sort of stuff. If you're talking like hardcore religious people, you know, you find the Ark of the Covenant, they might flock to you for all we know. But I guess it does depend on the, the level of belief those people have, right? It's true, but, you know, it's hard to see any real world analogs where artifacts hold that much influence uh you know i mean i guess the vatican has a huge trove of artifacts but i would say those get one percent of the press time that like all the pedophiles do so that's clearly not (laughs) you know carrying a lot of weight for them yeah honestly i feel like you know probably mecca is one of the closest analogs in the real world to some kind of religious iconography that vast number of people cross international borders take seriously Mm -hmm. but of course even that doesn't mean there aren't like tons of yeah so i don't know tons of deep rifts in in islam is what i was saying so i don't know it yeah it does strain credulity although you know at the end of the episode the you know the bad guys do kind of also point that out they do question that yeah yeah they're like you're insane if you think showing up with a bobble is going to give you an empire and londo kind of questions it as well in this scene actually he does say that oh well it's not the good old days anymore buddy you can't just show up without a lot of support and expect not to be murdered immediately afterwards yeah no no that's exactly yeah that's exactly right and i totally so yeah (laughs) not 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 saying it was like a plot hole or any bad writing anything like that just like these scenes where they were talking about what an important thing it was and how much it would change. It's just like, will it though? <laughs> Moving on. Here we go. Ooh, everyone gets to fly in this one. Yeah. So Ivanova gets sent out to hunt some raiders in a scene that we skipped over, but, mm-hmm. but now because, well, what, what is the trigger for Sinclair sending Garibaldi out with another task force. So what happens is that they get another distress call from a freighter and they send Ivanova with Delta Wing out to go support them. They have to go through the jump gate to do that. So basically Babylon 5 doesn't have their fighter wing at the moment. They have another flight ready, but they haven't launched them yet. And then Kiro his seeing aunt and Londo start planning their trip back to Centauri Prime with the bauble of greatness that the Emperor <laughs> has. And, you know, so they're making their trip ready and then something happens where they get accosted by this raider informant or 
mercenary guy. Oh my god, that's right. I can't believe I skipped over this scene. It's because I, I was so enraptured I didn't take notes. Yeah, so this guy rolls up on the two, I mean, you alluded to them earlier, the most ineffectual <laughs> guards since those Mantis guards. Yeah. Yeah, just like he, he gets the drop on them and then like shoots one and then shoots the other and not even really in that quick of succession like they had time to react and they were just like oh oh this guy oh well he shot one guy he's probably out of ammo oh that's right it's a laser uh (laughs) plasma technically it's a plasma gun not a laser gun exactly and then he takes the little band of satari hostage and takes the bauble and nobody really protests and you know it turns out later that big k you know is colluding with them so it makes sense why he isn't protesting but nobody really is protesting like you know even the people being taken hostage they're all acting like they knew this was going to happen i don't know i was expecting especially with the seer if i brought a seer and then was you know londo should have been like wait a minute Wait a minute. Either you you're in on coming, this, lady? or this is the worst seer ever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and turns out they were in on it. Uh, yeah, so these kidnappers take the Centauris right. and their bauble, their MacGuffin. And they get on their purple ship. I don't know what to call yeah, it. Yeah, and, and exactly. They confront Sinclair, or Sinclair confronts them. Right. And again, with Sinclair, like he has this little pistol. Sinclair did not bring any security with him. Mm-hmm. And he's like waving this gun around and he's like, we're leaving and you're not going to stop us. And Sinclair is like, all right, all right, bye. And I know Sinclair had a plan uh, that turned out to not work, but <laughs> even he was not really reacting. Like, you know, I wasn't looking for panic and screaming but everyone in this scene was way too calm for what was supposed to be happening. Right. Yeah, there was no attempt at negotiation on hostage release and all that stuff with the terrorists. But I guess they don't negotiate with terrorists either in the future. No, it, it's true. But I, I think this scene suffered from, you know, the writers knew that this scene was going to a place and the characters kind of act like that. Yeah, the so it's just expediency. Kind of, They're just exactly, trying to get, like, get the next scene. Like, of course we're getting kidnapped because we need to get kidnapped for the rest of the plot to happen instead of it feeling like, you know, a spontaneous <laughs> event that's surprised and angers everybody. And, you know, they're outraged but terrified and hurrying through the halls and yeah. looking for ways to get a leg up on them. There's a Firefly episode that did this really well, you know, where uh, <clears throat> someone invades the ship and takes someone hostage. And, you know, you can watch him looking for moments to get a one up on him and stuff. And this had none of that. It was like, OK, now you're hostages. We're going to walk down the hallway to the next scene. OK, here we are at the next scene. We're going to talk our way past St. Clair. OK, now we've done that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. None of the characters were conveying the level of tension like I felt the situation would warrant. I think you're you're fair to critique that part of it, to be sure. But okay, after they talk their way past Sinclair and they're in their ship, Sinclair has Garibaldi go out with another fighter wing. Right. So now they have Alpha Wing and Delta Wing. Where's Beta? Where's my big boy Beta? <laughs> Alpha, Beta, Delta, or Gamma, Delta, Delta, Gamma. I can't remember. But I know Beta's after Alpha. I know that. 
<laughs> uh, no, they skip that, go straight to Delta. But, you know, I just felt good because both Garibaldi and Ivanova get to fly their spaceships in this episode. A lot of flying this episode. Yeah, and they've had to have a very sharing is carrying kind of relationship with uh, <laughs> f- flying their, their little fighter planes. Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry, Garibaldi. It's Ivanova's turn. Oh, you know, Ivanova. Garibaldi gets sent out. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Beat the joke to death. Yeah, and then out of nowhere, the raiders show up with their battle wagon uh, carrier, basically, that shoots fighters out. It was really cool, actually. The launch of those fighters and that design is, is pretty neat, I thought. It was neat, but, I mean, completely impractical, right? Like, yeah. they have them fanned out like flower petals like that. <laughs> you know, what if you need to do work on them what if they need repairs what if uh, uh yeah i mean you know convenience is overrated for coolness factor like you're telling me when it's time for battle stations everyone literally runs in different directions yes of course it's just chaos <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty cool it was a very yeah kind of like a flower petal design and mm-hmm. all the ships detach and uh, yeah in fact until up until the ships attach it's not even obvious that it is carrying ships. Yeah. So I agree. That was kind of neat. And it also gives the answer to how are the Raiders attacking so quickly? Well, they have this big ship that can generate its own whatever jump, jump gate. Or, jump point. I, I yeah. forget. Jump point. Yeah. Okay. So we get a big fighter battle in space, which I'm here for. I loved it. I thought it was one of the best uh, CGI sequences we'd seen yet. Yeah. I thought it was great. One of the things I liked was that they actually showed them trying to use tactics to fight the battle not just kind of going randomly in every direction space tactics yes i agree with that i agree with that some of the tactics i thought were a little goofy like you know they were flying all over bab five and sinclair was like all right hold your fire all right open up with everything yeah it's like i don't know man i think you just want to be shooting the whole time i don't (laughs) know i've never fought off space fighters so i could be pirates yeah, watch out for you know, that's actually pirates. not true i've i've played uh <laughs> elite dangerous i've played Homeworld. i have fought off space fighters yeah <laughs> shoot the whole time i'll say that with authority and confidence shoot the whole time sinclair <laughs> well, he can learn a thing or two from me that's for sure that's right that's right <laughs> yeah i think this was probably the best fight scene or, or combat I agree. scene so far I in agree. the series this one it held up pretty well held up pretty well i did have some comments like he told ivanova to turn around the Mm. only rock the only you know engines that fired were the ones behind her and she (laughs) did a a a perfect flip Mm. it's like you know you have all these little rocket things drawn on there yeah cgi messed up a little bit it's true it's true because they get it right in most most cases but just not in that one situation. No, it's true. And, uh, yeah, I'm just like, the truth is, I don't think you'd want actually physically realistic space combat. That would probably be super boring. Like, yeah. of course you want dogfighting. You know, someone pointed out that George Lucas basically had World War II dogfighting in space. Yeah, that's And what that's what most space combat has been since. Mm-hmm. You know, which I get it. Super exciting. Much more visually entertaining. They did try to sprinkle a little bit of realism in there, which is nice. It's true. It's true. Yeah, they make attempts at it, usually when it's convenient for the plot. But actually, no, that's not true. Usually they violate physics when it's convenient for the plot, like <laughs> the unstable parking orbit. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, I think for this type of show, you know, I have my fun critiquing the physics, but <laughs> I, those aren't like 
super legitimate uh, criticisms of a show like this. <laughs> it's just me having fun. Yeah. Okay, so we next see Mr. Morden bump into Kosh in the hallway. During the fight outside, yeah. Exactly, yeah. The fight's going on outside. Mr. Morden slinking through the hallways. Kosh is also kind of slinking through the hallways, but Kosh, I mean, he just walks like... <laughs> i mean notorious big he just like he's a big wide dude he lumbers he, he lumbers he knows it he walks like a, a king king henry yes. the eighth yeah exactly just a mountain of a man uh <laughs> just lumbered down the hallway never in a hurry total boss but anyway he uh catches um mr morden and gives them this really cryptic or says this uh they are not for you which again you know just fits perfectly into you were not ready for this and yeah i don't i feel like there was another some powerful entity of some kind that he was like leave them alone in so many words but i, I maybe i'm mistaking that for some other sci-fi show but yeah kosh is really something of a I don't know, seems to me something of a guardian angel here. Unbeknownst to everyone else, he's out there picking fights with Morden. Yeah, exactly. Working behind the scenes, except for the odd blowing up uh, (laughs) ships leaving the station that has things he doesn't think you should have. Yeah. You know, that's how you know that the you know the MacGuffin isn't that powerful, is because Kosh is like, all right, take it. I don't care. Yeah. If it was really powerful, I'd cut you in half. So, uh, yeah. you know, go have fun. <laughs> Good old Kosh. Good old Kosh. Let's see. Let's see. I have a note written down, which is it's not that long of a story, but I cannot for the life of me remember. Someone was like, it's a long story. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, Eric. I'm making your editing <laughs> job hard here. Uh <laughs> I'm going to shut up and let you and let you keep going with it, whatever you were about to say. <laughs> I was just going to say that the uh, the combat wraps up outside with the fighter wings managing to disable or destroy the majority of the raiders attacking. And as they try to go to capture the raider capital ship, it jumps out with Lord Kiro aboard and they jump off into hyperspace. That ends that that kind of scene. I think what you're referring to uh, in terms of uh, long story. Well, you know, we don't have to jump to that. Let, yeah. So the, the battle ends mm-hmm. and do we go right to big K in hyperspace or is that a few scenes later? Basically, I mean, they have a quick wrap up of the combat and Sinclair and, and the others wrap up everything and bring in the rest of them. And then, yeah, we jump right back to big K and he's talking to the raiders and like, oh, yeah, good job acting out there, you guys. Let's go take back my planet. They're like, um, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to yeah. sell you for ransom and get all the money. Yeah. Number one, no. And B, <laughs> you were dumb to think we were going to do that, which yes. I have to agree with them. <laughs> Big K's whole plan was pretty bad. Yes. Uh, like, okay, so your plan is to be totally in the power of these pirates and at their total mercy you being an aristocrat of an ancient and powerful and wealthy family and you're going to be alone on the pirate ship with the pirates with the value you know the invaluable bauble 
Mm. And you're just going to trust that they do all the things you want them to do. Yeah. N- not a good plan, Big K. Not a good plan. Yeah. yeah. Never give someone a loaded gun unless you know where they're going to point it. But, you know, the pirates have all this stuff to say about how, oh, we're going to ransom you and use the ransom to buy three more right. of these carriers and the audience is left to think like, oh my God, things were so bad when they had one. It's going to be a nightmare when they have three, but it never gets to that mm-hmm. because the shadow of prophecy shows up, the big sort of tentacly shadow monster from space right. and lasers them in half. And I thought this was perfectly on brand for <laughs> Babylon 5 because the shadows will kill you. I mean, that could mean any number of metaphorical or symbolic things but no it means a literal shadow shows up and cuts you in half with a laser beam it reminded me of that episode where one of the psychor escapees becomes mm-hmm. a god yeah yeah and at the end he he's talking to um talia and he's like i'll give you the only gift i have to give which to me means they're about to say something poetic or, you know, <laughs> the love of a child, right? Something like yeah. that. But no, it's lightning beams to your face, which <laughs> knock you out cold and give you psionic, you know, uh, telekinetic powers. Yeah. Like yeah. this was on that level. Like you'll be killed by the shadows. Like, oh, how, how mysterious. Oh, no, a literal shadow is going to cut you in half with laser beams. Yep. Oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Auntie. Jesus. All right. (laughs) God. Anyway, so that was the end of Big K. You know, Big K and the hooligans. Yep. No more Big K and hooligans. Well, no more Big K and hooligans. And I got to say, you know, I know the Pirate King, who was awfully clean cut for someone (laughs) scraping a living at the edge of civilization out in space right right. Uh, he looked like he gets a hot shower every single day (laughs) yes very Uh, true but he did not seem at all perturbed by the loss of all those fighters i mean aside from the pilots which i imagine in a pirate ship about worth as much as what you can bring in right and if you get killed that's just you getting killed they figured with all the money they get from the ransom they're gonna be able to get plenty more pilots and ships that's probably why i imagine you might be right it's a sad state of affairs if that's the case though there's just a endless pool of pilots waiting to join these illegitimate pirating operations i mean again you know the economic desperation in this galaxy in this world must really be uh severe for this to be such a common thing i mean you look at real life pirates and it's usually the crew of a ship and actually, the truth is, most real-life pirates weren't out on their own. They were basically admirals in a, in a nation's navy or captains working yeah, for they had, a, uh, a nation. Yeah, they had marks of something. Yeah, letters of mark, exactly. You know, there were a handful of pirates that didn't really work for anyone but themselves, but like, I don't know, just a tiny, tiny handful. The vast majority of quote-unquote pirates. Most were privateers and... Yeah. working for other governments right for the, you know and, and i can guarantee any pirate out there working for themselves if they lost their whole crew they're not going to be able to show up you know in <laughs> barbados and just be like oh yeah i need a i need a whole new crew for my pirating i don't think it worked like that 
Well, you were so good last time. We lost your entire crew. Yeah. He was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wait, what happened to the uh, to the previous crew? Look, don't <laughs> ask questions. OK, uh, so, yeah, no remorse for his fallen crew, but immediately gets cut in half by a, a space shadow monster. So, you know, he gets his comeuppance. Right. When Mr. What's his name shows back up in Lando's life and gives him the bauble that we thought was destroyed. Yep. Which to me kind of suggested that the shadow monster and Mr. Morbid were somehow related but you know who knows again londo is just like completely oblivious to any kind of ominous implications of this interaction he was just like oh oh my god you brought it back and then he's mysteriously gone but his voice is echoing down the hallway he's like how can i ever find you to thank you and this mysterious disembodied voice echoes will find you and Londo is <laughs> yeah. just like cheerfully like oh, okay smiles and nods his head i'm like Londo, my man my man i guess that's the kind of confidence that comes with like knowing exactly how you're going to die as Londo has established in prior episodes he does know he how does. he's gonna die yeah you can just be pretty blase da with uh <laughs> with things that other people might be more concerned with i don't Mm -hmm. know if a disembodied voice said we'll find you i'd be like oh shit the space mafia (laughs) are gonna come demand the favors repaid someday here yeah you don't owe us anything we'll just uh, call in a favor you know when we need some help next time don't worry about it exactly yeah Yeah. like oh boy yeah which brings us to basically the last scene which is the old centauri vulcan no i'm I'm sorry centauri mind meld (laughs) very different from the vulcan mind meld yeah, I want to note the hand placement is completely different. Entirely different. Entirely different. Where Aunt Seer is like talking to Sinclair and she's like, oh, by the way, I've had a vision about horrible things happening to the station. And again, it's it's very like, you know, it will take a lot of effort, but I could have you to see what I see. Mm-hmm. And then she does it. And it's basically just a like quick five second clip of the space station exploding. And right. again, I can't help but think you could have tried to just. So you tell see, him. what happens is exactly the ship leaves the space station, and there are all these lights all over the place, and it slowly spreads apart. I think that's the station exploding, but I can't be sure. So you should see it just to be sure. Yeah, that's what it, do, it disintegrates really quickly in kind of an explodey way. Maybe but, you could uh, call it an explosion. What's what's yeah, that? You know, I'm not an expert. <laughs> you, you just need to look for yourself exactly yeah we need to know to make sure you're not a computer how many explosions do you see in this <laughs> prophecy yes there you go there you go but uh i think that's that one last comment real quick. oh go ahead go ahead when garibaldi's wrapping up with sinclair kind of going over the casualty count in the battle and stuff like that he also notes that Ambassador Kosh has put in a request for some tools to help repair his encounter suit. So I think we can infer from that that something went down in that hallway. And uh, yeah, some uh, fists were thrown, perhaps. Yeah, no, that was an interesting line. I wasn't sure if it wasn't obvious to me if that was the truth. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there were some fisticuffs thrown and he did need to repair his encounter suit. Maybe there's multiple encounter suits. You never see his face. Kosh yep. could be Kosh could literally be three Londos in a trench coat. 
you know <laughs> we don't know i think the the hair would give him away though yeah in that situation. that's true uh, from out from under the the you know the <laughs> oculus mask or whatever kosh has all you see is this hair yeah the hair halo <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh boy but yeah that um, wraps up the episode yeah that about wraps it up hey eric who is your up? favorite character this episode? Uh, my favorite character this episode. I mean, I think Ivanova is my favorite character just because she is done with everything. And then she gets to go fly and shoot some shit. So that's cool. And I just you know, en- I, enjoy Ivanova. I agree with that. I The groggy, you know, yeah, hungover freshman Ivanova <laughs> in the beginning was pretty fun. And then she gets to exactly go lead a, a fighter squadron, which is all she really wants to do. Exactly. In fact, this episode kind of went out of its way to show how eager she was <laughs> to be a fighter and do fighter pilot things. Yeah. And is really disappointed every time Sinclair tells her to come back. <laughs> so Ivanova would my go-to. How about yours? I mean, I think I agree with you. I think Ivanova. You know, I don't know. I'll, I'll go with Londo. <laughs> uh, I haven't picked Londo in a while, and I legitimately do think he had some of the strongest scenes of the whole episode yeah uh, the, that's the elevator scene with jakar was i mean just chef's kiss that was i <laughs> i i was laughing out loud and not sort of at the choices the writers made or how silly the the plot is i was just laughing at the jokes that the writers were making <laughs> it was so hilarious uh yeah yeah good old good old londo definitely a, a good episode and a big one for upcoming events for sure it's uh the canon of babylon 5 it starts the ball rolling there um before i wrap up today's episode just another quick production note uh, for those of you following along on hbo max as we watch through the series uh, we're going to be watching the episode the grail next following the signs of importance i won't make note of the fact that we were supposed to record a different episode today but andrew forgot we'll we'll, we'll worry about that later but hey, you know, anyways. they would have never known. We can release <laughs> them in whatever order we want. No one would have known, Eric. Patreon bonus content coming to you soon. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just heads up with that. Uh, we'll wish you all a good eating because it's dinner time now. And just to update you on the scores of the Super Bowl, let's see here. It looks like the Los Angeles Rams have come from behind to win the Super Bowl. 23 to 20. So congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams two weeks from now, because that's when the, this episode will come out. So yeah, well done. Yeah, I hope you didn't blow any two-week late betting pools <laughs> that were going on with that. Spoiler alert, guys, on the Spoiler Super Bowl. Spoiler alert. All right. Yeah. With that, thanks for listening. Eric, pleasure as always. Pleasure as always, and a good eating to you all. Good eating to you.